Welcome to our latest episode of the Health Disparities Podcast, where we regularly explore issues around inequities and disparities in healthcare. And of course, this podcast is brought to you by Movement is Life. We're recording this episode at our annual caucus in Washington, D.C., where nearly 300 health equity advocates and health equity leaders have come together to brainstorm and come up with solutions to help move the needle in terms of achieving health equity. I'm Michelle Leak, and I'm a member of the Movement is Life Board of Directors. And for my day job, I am a healthcare administrator in operations at Mayo Clinic in Florida. And joining me today is Dr. Garfield Clooney, whose plenary talk today is titled Advocating to Increase Diversity of Clinicians at the Decision-Making Table. And the description of Dr. Clooney's talk is that it will take strong and active leadership to demonstrate an institutional commitment to diversity to address the unique needs of a diverse population and that having diverse voices throughout the healthcare profession is critical to the decisions that are made on access to care by underrepresented minorities. Now, Dr. Clooney is an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology in the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine. He's also the vice chair of diversity, equity, inclusion at the New York University Grossman School of Medicine and the New York University Langone Health. Dr. Clooney also is the 23rd president of the National Medical Association. So welcome, Dr. Clooney. It is a great pleasure to have you with me this morning to continue um, the discussion on the importance of having people of color at the decision-making table. So Dr. Clooney, you just gave this wonderful talk and it was totally fascinating. I think our audience was just totally engaged, had great questions, and we learned a lot from you and from the audience. So could you share with our listeners to the podcast some of the key points and take-home messages that you talked about this morning? Great. Thank you. Thanks again for having me. Probably the main take-home message was um, that diversity is very important in all realms of our life. Um, it, It is important in business, it's important in medicine, it's important in healthcare. It's very important to have all different minds and all lived experiences to come to the table to create solutions that will be beneficial to all. And I, I'm forgetting now how you framed it, but you talked a little bit about this analogy with dancing um, <laughs> in terms of uh, really being at the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, could you just share that with our audience? Because I thought that was pretty brilliant. Yeah. So unfortunately, I can't take credit for it. But, um, but when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and also belonging, mm-hmm. I personally think that of the set, belonging is the most important And diversity is like being asked to attend the party. Mm -hmm. Uh, Inclusion is being asked to dance at the party. Mm -hmm. Um, Equity is how much space do I have around here to dance? Do I have the same space that everyone else has? But belonging is 
where can I be involved in the planning or being involved in the planning of the party and what kind of music is there? And so you're completely immersed with the other participants in the um, whatever it is so that your input is equal to everyone else's input. Absolutely. And being at that table to help make the decisions and plan and then to go out into the community as a representative of your organization with your diversity, inclusion and equity hat on, um, that's um, that's a, quite a significant opportunity and quite a significant commitment of time and effort and energy. And I know we talked a little bit about how that plays out in terms of how that's recognized and rewarded in terms of academic promotion. So if you could share a little bit more with us on that, that would be terrific. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about that. Um, as a, a black person, and I'm not unique, a lot of um, black and brown people feel the same way, that we have an obligation to help the younger folks in our community who are coming up to help them have an easier, easier pathway when, than we do. And so we participate in many community fairs, we participating in mentoring events, uh, we participate in all these types of things. However, as a clinician at an academic center, there are certain uh, requirements that are that you have to meet in order to get promoted in your career. And so sometimes these outside opportunities, uh, such as mentoring and so on, can interfere because, you know, there are only 24 hours in a day. And I am a strong believer, and I think this is, um, this is something that is sort of coming into uh, flavor now, is that this work of mentorship should be rewarded mm -hmm. similarly actually to your work as a mentor for instance as a researcher who mentors another researcher mm -hmm. to publish a paper they're excited about their topic they're excited about the paper they're publishing but we're also excited about motivating younger students we're excited about motivating them to to um, take on whatever career it is they want and i think we should definitely all get credit for that kind of effort absolutely Absolutely. So let's stay with that a little bit and, and talk a little bit about how to get more clinicians of color into the pipeline and uh, through medical school and mm -hmm. then um, uh, pursuing uh, that first um, appointment um, after residency, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, so in, in terms of that, um, what I am um, thinking, what's been your experience in terms of how organizations now are leaning in and really trying to ensure that they have a diverse applicant pool um, certainly uh, apply into medical school and then once finished medical school that they have opportunities uh, for residency and to uh, go on, on on staff particularly in light of um, the um, uh, likely outcome of the current Supreme Court um, deliberations over affirmative action? I think that to try to increase uh, the pipeline of black students mm -hmm. going into medicine, mm -hmm. um, the, for instance, the National Medical Association has partnered with the American Association of Medical Colleges to go back to, or should I say, reach out to students much earlier than college to mm -hmm. start in high school and so in some cases junior high school because I think that you have to 
get students to understand the benefits of education, but you also have to motivate them to choose a career that they think they would enjoy going into. And again, with the phenomenon of you can't be what you can't see, mm -hmm. if you're in an area where many people have not gone on to college or many people don't have professional careers, and we have to be real, that is, that is part of our national um, framework. Um, you know, we as a, a professional organization have an obligation to go into the community and expose these children as much as we can. But also, we have to um, assist them with finances to get, you know, applications cost mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. And sometimes parents are just, you know, meeting, you know, at the end of the month, you know, they're just barely meeting the ends. And so it's kind of tough. I think that one of the key things that we came out with at, at we had a big summit on black males in medicine with the double amc and i think one of the key things we came out with, which was very simple once someone said it was that we also need to invite those young people mm -hmm. to give their opinion into this committee mm -hmm. because we're looking at it from our lens but let's look at it from their lens and what they think is important and that's sort of the next step we're going to take but once you yeah. have students that are engaged in the uh, career of medicine, it is, again, our obligation to mentor them through this process. Um, we've all had um, mentors that helped us through, and we have an obligation to do the same. Mm -hmm. And also, once you get into your, um, into your desired specialty and start your career, look to those senior physicians there that look like you and are interested in you. We all know that there's some that are not may not be, but mm -hmm. you do have there are many that are interested in, in your well-being, and you have to look to those people for advice and, and mentorship. Absolutely. And I think with, um, with some of the data and information that we've heard in terms of this affirmative action decision that, you know, this has continued to come up over and over again and be discussed and decided upon at the Supreme Court. And to date, uh, the Supreme Court has affirmed the need and the value for the affirmative action. Uh, but uh, who knows what's going to happen uh, between now and July when they have their final decision out. Um, but I, I think the bottom line is, is that the data shows that um, uh, having opportunity for uh, students of color um, to, um, th th first of all, um, they're highly qualified. So it's not about they're not qualified and, and they're just getting into medical school because of the color of their skin. Uh, the people that apply to medical school and get in medical school at the, the top of the heap in what, whatever academic performance they have had up until that point, whether it be in high school, in college, et cetera, and on the MCAT scores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, top tier, very, very top. So it's not even a, about that. Um, but there has to be uh, some provision. And I, I think that the data is, is, is showing that it's not to the disadvantage of any other the students of color, like Asian students or even white students. Um, once everything is said and done, everything is, is nobody's been given extra um, uh, privilege or extra access, if you will, because of the color of their skin. And maybe I didn't state that quite exactly right, but I think you might get the sentiment of what I'm, I'm sharing here. Sure, sure. I think that, um, you know, the way we think the Supreme Court is going to go with affirmative action is, is feeling very disappointing. Mm -hmm. um, I agree with you. Um, I know that as a black male coming up in medicine, I had to 
pass all the same exams, excel in all the same areas, but I didn't have opportunities like taking a year off to go and you know study in France or you know taking time to take you go and you know, study art or do something else. I was sort of laser focused on getting to my career, and also my family didn't have those kinds of resources, and so all of that, all of these what we call extracurricular activities are finding their way into the medical application in, and even residency application. And so I think with affirmative action, right, it's not trying to get anyone else ahead of someone who would be there, but it's about leveling the playing field. And I think that's extremely important. And I hope that the Supreme Court will understand that leveling the playing field is what this is all about. Very well said. I, I think the other thing that's striking is that uh, students that spoke um, in support of uh, maintaining affirmative action, uh, students of color, Asian students, et cetera, et cetera, commented on the, the, the value that diversity is bringing to their educational experience. And it dovetails exactly with what you talked about today in terms of, you know, you had this list of different dimensions of diversity, right? And when you bring all that together, all of the benefit that that brings to an organization, to patients, uh, financial and non-financial benefit, quality of care, quality of decision-making, quality of leadership. So if you could just share a little bit more of that with the audience. No, I, I think you, you, you pretty much said it all, but you're, you're exactly right. Um, diversity um, uh, feeds into all these things to, to make... Um, to make um, you know to, to, to make things better, but I, I did want to go back a little bit mm -hmm. and say that um, you know when it comes to this application process and getting through an affirmative action and so on, you know I think in the medical career actually they realize that doing doing extracurricular activities or your pathway to get to medicine should be accounted for. And so now there's something called a holistic application. Mm -hmm. And this is a transition from the, you know, you have to have an X grade on a USMLE, you have to have X on that or else you're out. Because again, not everyone has the same uh, background or pathway, but they have the same perseverance and they have the same, um, mm -hmm. they, they have to uh, pass the same exams. They have to, you know, maintain the same standards. Mm -hmm. And so I think that again, you know, with affirmative action, it's going to be, a shame to see it go away. If it, if it does, hopefully it won't, because that will just up upset the landscape once again. Absolutely. So, Dr. Clooney, I'm going to segue a little bit and talk a little bit more specifically um, about you. I know that your special interests include prenatal diagnosis of fetal abnormalities or anormalities, um, and diabetes in pregnancy, and fetal growth restriction, right? And so my question is, um, to what extent are we making progress in the field of maternal and fetal health, particularly for African Americans? It seems like the news we hear about tends to be bad news. Well, yeah, unfortunately, is you know, as the the United States being a developed country and having mm. the um, the worst maternal mortality rate of developing countries, um, it's it's really um, uh, mind-boggling. The worst. Yeah, the worst. It, you know, huh. for a country with so much money. But again, mm. um, I think that you know, education on biases and racism and so on is very important because we have to treat everyone the same. 
And I think in terms of my field in maternal field of medicine specifically, what we've moved to now to sort of eliminate those biases that can occur in medicine that can affect outcomes is try to standardize care as much as possible. Every patient is an individual. There's no recipe to taking care of a patient. Mm -hmm. One patient with hypertension is not the same as another patient with hypertension. But sure enough, if your high blood pressure reaches a certain number, you need to be treated. If you're having a certain pain threshold, you need to be treated. But mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that we've, um, we've uh, in medicine, have adopted uh, different thoughts on different patients and different um, uh, races and ethnicities on how we should treat them based on that. Um, I think that in New York City, they're making a very strong push to try to actually take race out of algorithms that we use to take care of patients. So for instance, when it comes to the um, uh, kidney functioning, race is a factor. When it comes to pulmonary function testing, race is a factor. And as we all know from the Human, Human Genome Project, we're 99.9% .9 the same. Mm -hmm. I think that environment has a lot to do with outcomes, and that leaks over to the social determinants of health. Um, but I think that uh, using race or ethnicity mm -hmm. to determine a treatment uh, pathway is absolutely the wrong way to go. And I think in maternal child health, there is a huge... There's huge recognition, first of all, of the maternal mortality rate in this country. Mm -hmm. There's huge recognition of the disproportionate deaths of black women in this country. And we often hear that black women are three to four times more likely to die from childbirth than white women, but that's also area dependent. Mm -hmm. Because if you go to some areas in New York City, like Brooklyn, the data shows that they're eight times more likely. And so we really have to move the needle on this issue. There's no excuse for this to be happening in 2022. And I think that the um, American College of OBGYN and the other associations have really made a commitment to try to standardize care and treat everyone the same, despite what your race or ethnicity might be. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I think one of the questions from the audience um, earlier this morning during your talk ties in with that, and they we're talking about um, a national scorecard, if you will. So I'm wondering if you could just elaborate that on a little bit more and share that sort of dialogue or question conversation with our podcast audience. Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated question because um, what, what we're trying to do is, again, um, make diversity universal, make people, make everyone understand what diversity brings to the proverbial table. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard to get data, and um, without data, it's hard to know where to put the programs and, and what to do without having information. And so there are lots of challenges across the nation as we try to access data and get data. But I have many, um, many colleagues who are in leadership um, in the C-suite areas that are in diversity and what they've had to do sometimes is start from the beginning and start with employee surveys um, and start looking at what the hospital actually does in terms of collecting data. Because sometimes if no one's monitoring it, you know, and, and it's not done correctly, then the data is, is no good. And so we definitely need that information to help us know where the, um, the holes are in terms of um, diversity in our country and in the areas in medicine. 
Absolutely. You know, I think uh, Verona Bruton, um, our founder of uh, Movement is Life, um, said yesterday, and I thought it was just point on, she said, we will not achieve health equity until we eliminate health disparities, right? Yep. And that just really resonates with me, and I think sometimes people equate health disparities and health equity and use those terms interchangeably, yeah, they're right? They're um, so could you just comment a bit on that difference? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so disparities are in terms of, you know, patient outcomes. Mm -hmm. What what happens? Um, what what are the outcomes in terms of, you know, prostate cancer for different races and ethnicities? Mm -hmm. What are the outcomes for cardiovascular disease? Right. But equity is what is the access or the fairness or the justice that these folks have in terms of um, getting to the care. Mm -hmm. And so we may say that, um, you know, black women, um, white women actually get breast cancer more, but black women die more often of breast cancer. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. But then you have to tease that apart and say, okay, why is that happening? Mm -hmm. And when you tease away all the data, you realize that sometimes areas that, um, that care is given are not in locations where these patients are. And, you know, if you have to travel a long distance and pay a lot of money to, to access care, it's going to be very difficult, especially if you may have a family. Mm -hmm. You know, there are other things to consider in terms of your life and your everyday life, rather. And sometimes we all do it. We put our health to the side and charge on with our lives. Mm -hmm. But, um, but we have to look at this equity mm -hmm. part because um, without that, we're not going to eliminate disparities. Yes. And so in terms of sort of which comes first, you achieve, um, you eliminate health disparities, and if you're able to do that, then you achieve health equity, or is it the other way around? In my opinion, I think it's the other way around. Okay. You have to be fair, mm -hmm. and everyone has to have the same opportunities and the same access and then we can say, okay, everyone has the same access, there's no barriers, then the outcomes should be the same. There shouldn't be any difference. And so we're 13% of the population, so, or black people are 13% of the population, so outcomes should fall somewhere in that vicinity. You know, um, representation should fall somewhere in that vicinity. That, that's the way I think about oh, well, it. Well, thank you for that clarity. Yeah. I was very interested uh, from the session this morning, you focused on um, how to be at the table once you get to the table. So once you get through the door and you're practicing and you are a clinician of, of color, uh, black and brown clinicians, and then you get a seat at the table, so how do you be at that table, right? How do you lend your voice so that your voice is heard and you can help shape the conversation and inform decisions about access to care and outcomes for underrepresented patients? Well, I think, you know, that's the point. Um, we all have a different lived experience and we all have something to bring to the table. And so it's very important that once you have that opportunity to sit at a table um, to make decisions about what's going to happen in healthcare, to make decisions about what's going to happen in, uh, re in insurance reimbursements, uh, any any um, part of healthcare, that you lend your voice because uh, your lived experience is going to be important for others to hear, and that's going to help to frame the um, the solution. It's not going to dictate or navigate the solution, but it does help to frame the solution so that the solution is um, applicable to a wide range of people. 
Absolutely. And I know from my own experience, I sort of learned that the hard way. Um, I'm an administrator um, in healthcare, and I've uh, been at the same organization for t nearly 27 years now. And it was a journey, but I must say that I was um, embraced and um, supported. And obviously, I've been very happy there because I'm still there and very committed. And I have learned, though, that you really do have to, as you shared with us this morning, know your audience. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to share your voice in a way that can be heard. And so often, uh, because people like me can tend to be very direct, right, um, it, you can get labeled. And, and, and then that way, it sort of sh shuts people down. So how can you say what needs to be said in a way that uh, can be heard? And I think a key word that you shared this morning was diplomacy, and particularly in this space where we're talking about uh, diversity and how important it is and mm -hmm. inclusion. Well, I think that you can share your information and be very direct without being offensive, without offending anyone. Once again, you know, everyone, you know, does have something to contribute to the table. And as, as you stated, I learned as chair of the board for an organization for the National Medical Association that there are a lot of voices to take into consideration. And some of those voices may be a little off target um, and some of the voices you have to sort of rein in, but also, you know, working with everyone and also um, lending your voice will definitely help the, frame the conversation so that the outcome will be beneficial for all. Absolutely. And Dr. Clooney, you, you also brought out the, the data um, in terms of some of the research that's been done that shows the absolute concordance uh, with uh, patients of color being cared for and taken care of by uh, clinicians of color and that the patient outcomes are better and that there's no dispute of that. Um, so if you could share a little bit more about that, especially in the context that over time, the number of black physicians particularly has decreased. Um, and so that gap is widening between the black population and the number of uh, clinicians of color that are in the profession to take care of them. As a physician working at different, uh, working at different health centers, um, I realized that patients need to feel comfortable with the location where they're receiving their care. And while, as, as I stated in my talk, race concordance when it comes to outcomes and care has, strong, has been strongly associated. However, diversity is probably more important, showing that everyone is here contributing to your care. And when you see other people that have had your lived experience, they don't necessarily have to be exactly your same color, um, but when you see people that have your lived experience and ex understand the challenges that you may have um, with um, following up with your medical care. You know, when, when people of the same ethnicity and background, um, they, they have a shared experience, and it's that shared experience that adds to that patient-physician relationship, right? right? Right. That's absolutely true. And, uh, and again, um, as I mentioned during my talk, I think that what's also very important is cultural competency mm -hmm. and cultural humility. Because again, we don't all have to come from the same place and we don't have to all have to take care of or be seen by people that look like us. But at minimum, we should have people who have experience with what our cultural beliefs are. And that will go a long way in terms of compliance and outcomes in the medical career.
Absolutely, and that speaks to why it's so important to have that diversity, the diversity of a healthcare team, and particularly uh, with the physician that leads that team. So as I was looking at, at the data in terms of the uh, population and um, the, the number of, of black physicians, men and women, and that um, sort of flat line, if you will, if not decline. And I was wondering to what extent is that impacted by the pandemic as we've seen a great migration um, in the workforce out of healthcare. And I'm wondering to what extent uh, we've seen that migration among black clinicians. I don't know if you've seen any data that you could speak to that on. Because of my involvement with the National Medical Association, I have a network of colleagues from across the country. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, when it came to COVID-19, we didn't run away, we ran to it mm -hmm. because we realized very quickly that people from the underserved communities, from black and brown communities, were disproportionately affected by what was going on with COVID-19. And so we ran to that mm -hmm. uh, epidemic, that pandemic rather, to see how we could help uh, uh, black and brown people understand that if they're having symptoms, if, if anything is going on, you need to come in and be seen. But also practices like hand washing is extremely important. Um, isolating yourself is extremely important if you're not feeling well. Um, and again, I talk a lot about uh, the National Medical Association, which is an association of black physicians, being the trusted messengers for mm -hmm. the black community. Mm -hmm. um, again, seeing someone look like you, tell you about um, health care and the um, preventative things you can do to keep yourself healthy is very important. Absolutely, and that reminds me of some work that uh, physicians in my organization did during the pandemic in terms of going out into the community and educating community leaders, yes. right? And these were black physicians that went out and did right, that. Right. And so I love that, didn't run away, you ran towards that. Yes. This is the community that we serve. Yes. So that's beautiful. Absolutely. Um, so the, the other thing that sort of ties to that in terms of organization's commitment. You spoke this morning um, in terms of um, what happened a couple summers ago with uh, Floyd um, and how that sort of galvanized um, folks um, a bit. And I'm wondering if you could just elaborate on that a little bit because that in some ways was a, a call to arms, a call to action. And so please, we'd love to hear further from you on yeah. that. Yeah, when the unfortunate murder of George Floyd mm -hmm. happened, I think the black community had to stand up and say that our interactions with law enforcement or the interaction with law enforcement has been disproportionately um, against black people. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of realized that when we look at all of our lives when it comes to healthcare, why is it that in our communities, we don't have clinics to go to sometimes. We don't have proper supermarkets where we can get uh, fresh foods and vegetables to keep ourselves healthy. And so it really started a, a, what we call a social justice movement mm -hmm. to sort of look at what is happening in our communities and how we can improve what is happening because eventually this will all affect all our lives. Absolutely. Dr. Clooney, I'm reflecting back on your talk as well, and I think you did such a brilliant job of tying Movement is Life framework uh, towards awareness, um, mm -hmm. education, mm -hmm. and behavioral change, yep. that framework, and applying that to 
um, diversity um, in organizations. Right. So if you could just talk a little bit more about that. Sure, sure. I think in terms of education, you have to look back and see what the history of medicine has been, which I've talked about. Um, in terms of uh, black physicians' entry into medicine has really been um, flat for decades. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to get to the bottom of what this is, but we think that probably there needs to be more engagement early in the educational system and also more face-to-face -face interactions. As they say, you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. um, and in 2022, we have to eliminate that. And in terms of education, I think we need to educate ourselves on our own biases mm -hmm. and about how inclusion and belonging is extremely important. And it's very important when it comes to patient outcomes. And the data has shown this completely, that um, when you have everyone at the table, again, the um, solutions that we come up with involve everyone's lived experience. And so that translates to the patients and translates to better outcomes for Excellent. the patients. What do you particularly like about the Movement is Life Caucus? The, the thing I, I think I like most about the caucus is that, um, and I talk about this with the National Medical Association as well, is we have to get to the grassroots and to, to make change. Mm -hmm. And I love, and I, and I apologize, I don't remember the name of the program. Operation Change. Operation Change, exactly. You go right into the community mm -hmm. and you help patients understand what is necessary to do to improve their care and eventually improve their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think that's wonderful because I think growing up, some of us don't get that education from our families and friends. And sometimes it takes an adulthood for us to understand how obesity affects our life, how hypertension affects our life, how diabetes mm -hmm. affects our life. And I really think it's great that Movement is Life goes into the community and does that work. Wonderful, thank you. What has been your best health equity read that you would recommend? So there's a book called Equity, actually, and it's an excellent book because she talks about her family um, and her parents being immigrants to this country and the challenges they faced, but also how they overcame those challenges and how they became successful members of this society. And she weaves in how the history of America and racism and everything else affects outcomes and affects what happens within our lives, but we also have to use those to strengthen us to do better and change, change your sort of projected outcome. And so I think it's a great, great read, and it's really helping me with my position as Vice Chair for Diversity at, at NYU. So another interesting read um, that I had over the last several months is called The Death Gap by um, David Ansel, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And the, the uh, cover starts with, uh, I think it's How Inequity Kills. Mm -hmm. And that was a very powerful uh, statement to me because as I talked about before, equity is really, uh, the, I think, one of the biggest things we have to achieve in order to improve outcomes. And he talks about his experiences with patients, and one in particular was a, a, a black woman that he took care of through many phases mm -hmm. of her life, uh, even after she had a stroke and their relationship. And it was just an excellent book that showed how, as a physician, you have an obligation, not just to go in there and see the panel of patients and keep going, but to really bond and educate a patient and get them to understand about their care and why they need to take care of themselves. It was, it was really a great book. Very good, thank you. 
And then one other short question, short answer question. Can you tell us about a health equity champion that you particularly admire that we might want to invite to be a guest on the podcast in the future? Yes, um, there's a, she's now become a friend of mine. Um, her name is Pam Abner and she's at Mount Sinai and I met her several years ago at a National Medical Association meeting and Pam has a human resources background and when Mount Sinai took the um, leap to move towards diversity, the importance of diversity many years ago, um, she was at the forefront of that movement and she has really taken Mount Sinai to be, she and Dr. Gary Butts have transformed Mount Sinai into the leader, the role model in New York City mm -hmm. for what an, institu an institution should do to improve diversity. And that includes going into the community, pro uh, pro um, creating student programs uh, that come into medical, medical school to um, meet with the doctors, meet with the students. Mm -hmm. They support the medical students completely through their careers. Um, they also have a program through the, um, the National Football League where students who are associated, affiliated with them who don't quite make it to be athletes, mm -hmm. they introduce them into the STEM programs and so give them another thing to think about in terms of career. Mm -hmm. I think it's been excellent. I think it was excellent. They've done a lot of also um, education for the staff in terms of bias, anti-racism, which has been really excellent. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. Dr. Clooney, in closing, could you share with our podcast audience a call to action that you suggest our listeners keep in mind as we look forward and go through 2023? Well, I think that um, the title of my talk was advocating to increase diversity of clinicians at the decision-making table. And I would say a call to action is really, really um, about the word diversity, because diversity is where it starts. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have to look around our areas and look and see who we see. Mm -hmm. And also understand that diversity is not filling a quota or having a certain amount of people there or things like that. What diversity is about is bringing any, everyone around the table to make decisions that will affect all. Mm -hmm. Because again, if you're making decisions without understanding some uh, the uh, cultural history or the challenges or the barriers that a certain group of people are having, then those decisions probably will not be the solution mm -hmm. to the problem. Mm -hmm. And so I, I strongly believe that having a diverse environment, whether it be in corporate or in healthcare, in medical school, in, um, as you're coming up, that is necessary really to move in a way that we're having fairness for everyone across the country. Well, I think that it's just about um, uh, time to, to, to thank you and, and, and just we learned so much during the podcast and wish we had more time, but we're so grateful for the time that you have shared with us um, to share your insights um, on our Health Disparities podcast today. It's been a real pleasure, and we hope to see you again at the future here on the podcast or at our Movement is Life caucus or both. 
And just a quick note to our listeners that you will be able to access videos of our plenary sessions on our website in the coming weeks at www.movementislifecaucus.com. And if you like the episode today, please do let us let your friends know and your colleagues about our Health Disparities podcast. Until next time, I am Dr. Michelle Leak saying thank you for listening and please be safe and well.